0: Today we have opportunity to see something born, I think, in that sense. Uh, at least to us, this is something we've looked forward to, meeting in our own building, on our own land, and it is indeed our own land. We did get the title transferred a couple weeks ago into the church name, which I told you we would do. Why did you doubt? <coughs> I say that after the sermonette it has been done so this is a church property and we're meeting in a church community center our building speaking of birth if you would turn to Revelation 12 here is a passage which has been somewhat confusing over the years Uh, it has been said That the first part of this chapter is dealing with physical Israel only, and that the last part of the chapter, where it talks about going to a place of safety, was speaking of the church. (laughs) That has been the traditional explanation uh, in the church of God, way back, decades ago, uh, using verse 6, the 1,203 score days showing that there would be a period of 1,260 years in which the church would be, di- uh, given a time of, or that physical Israel would be having difficulty and then would be, uh, delivered from that. And that later on it was talking about the church in the last half of the chapter. Now part of the Reasoning was that, in verse 2, that physical Israel travailed in child, and it was physical Israel then who gave birth to Christ, and the woman, uh, the dragon stood there before the woman ready to deliver her child as soon as it was born, verse 4. And in verse 5, she brought forth a man-child who was rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up under God into his throne. Obviously, uh, in completely That is a prophecy about Christ. I will not argue that for one moment. But is that all there is here? Recently I heard a theory that Revelation 12, the first part of the chapter, was referring to physical Israel, and that since there is no change of subject, All the way down, and and, indeed I think that is correct, there is no change of subject. If you read through this chapter, all the way down, it was said, to verse 17. that this whole chapter, down through verse 16, is talking about physical Israel, and only verse 17 is speaking to the church. And that reasoning would only have one conclusion, That is, that physical Israel goes to a place of safety, to her place, and that the church then, verse 17, which has, uh, keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, that the church stays behind in the tribulation and is persecuted and killed. How do you like that theory? I disagree with it. and I think I can prove that that is wrong. Actually, let's consider a couple of scriptures to begin with. Do not all the prophecies talk about physical Israel going into tribulation? Does not Ezekiel 5 lay it out very clearly? The church has... Read that many, many, many times over the years, over the decades, showing what it says here. Uh, Verse 10 of Ezekiel 5, The whole remnant of you will I scatter into all the winds. Verse 12, A third part of you shall die with the pestilence, and with famine shall they be consumed in the midst of you. And a third part shall fall by the sword round about you. And I will scatter a third party into all the winds, and I will draw a sword after them. We have always used this to apply to physical Israel, along with many, many other scriptures about the Assyrian coming and destroying us. Uh, I have also applied this to the church because we have been going through a spiritual famine, sword, and pestilence, and about 90% of the church or close to it is now being destroyed or is in deep famine so it has an application both ways but when it comes to the physical death I ask you about Matthew 24 Uh, Matthew 24 let's go back and read it I think we need to understand this what does it tell us to do here First of all, in Matthew 24, whom is Christ addressing? His disciples, his followers, right? The disciples came and asked him about the end time. When would these things happen? And all the way through this, he addresses them. He doesn't address the world, he addresses them. And it says, now wait a minute, maybe I don't want this one. Maybe I want, uh, I think I want Luke. Luke's account. Let's go back there just a moment. There was, there was a particular point here that Matthew does not mention that Luke does. So I can, my eye will fall on it. Let's see. We're in in Luke 21. Woe to them that give suck. Where does it say? Verse 36. Watch you therefore, and pray always that you, again, his disciples, his followers, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. He's talking here about the flight in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. He's talking about the tribulation coming. He's talking about the end of the age, and he tells his disciples to pray that they be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Well, now, Revelation 12 says that the church is going to be left behind and not escape, and the physical Israel is going to escape. Why pray that you be accounted worthy to escape? It makes no sense whatsoever, does it? We who are working... It being worthy to be in the kingdom of God and worthy to escape all these things that come because he tells us to pray that. We're going to be left behind and Madonna is going to escape. George W. Bush is going to escape. All the liars, the thieves, the adulterers, the murderers, the witches, the sorcerers are going to escape. Give us a break here. (laughs) It is correct that there is no change in subject from verse 1 of Revelation 12. I want to go back there again now. Revelation 12 and on down. Let's start reading this. Most of you are quite familiar with it, I'm sure, but let's begin reading it. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Is that referring to physical Israel? I'm asking the question now. We'll get into the need of that in a little bit. But I want to answer some questions about this. And she being with child, cried, prevailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Is physical Israel the only one that has ever been in pain to be delivered? And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, And its tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now notice that this flashes back and forth in time element quite a bit here. It talks about this woman clothed with the sun. It talks about the birth of Christ, about 2,000 years ago, and then it flashes back even before the world even was, to the time of Satan's rebellion. So it's hard to establish right off the bat here a time order of exactly and only one time which this is talking about, because there are several different periods of time mentioned. as a historical matter. We also have to consider, before we're done today, to whom the book of Revelation is addressed. To physical Israel, or to the church, and we've been through that territory recently quite a bit, so I won't go there today, at the beginning of the book of Revelation. This book is not addressed to a physical Israel at all and physical Israel is mentioned in here very little. The whole book is written to the church. It's addressed to the church. So, it is also an end time book written to the end time church, is it not? That is the subject. It is the subject all the way through the book, and that never changes. Everything in here has a relationship To the church if I write a letter to you that letter is addressed to you now I might bring up other people within the letter but I'm not talking to those people I'm writing about those people to you so when Christ gave this revelation to John and had it written down and addressed it to the church The revelation had other people mentioned in it, but every reference had to do with their relationship to the church. Be it the beast, be it the whore, be it uh, the angels, be it the dragon, Satan himself. Everything in here has a relationship to the church because it's written to the church. It's about the church. It's not about anything else. It's not about physical Israel. There's nothing at the beginning of this book that says, I'm writing this to physical Israel and the church. doesn't say that anywhere at all. So there is no change of subject in this book whatsoever. It is about the church, and everything else has to do with the relationship toward the church. And I think that I can show that that is true of Revelation 12 as well. Probably the greatest difficulty in explaining this is in verses 4 and 5. And I want to de- devote quite a bit of time to that today. Because it talks about the dragon standing before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Obviously speaking of Christ, no doubt about that. I want to, first of all, turn to Mark 12. Mark 12, and I want you to see a principle here that Jesus Christ himself used. Mark 12, beginning in about verse, oh thirty-five, 35, I guess. Well, let me back up to 29. They asked about what is the first commandment, one of the scribes, and Jesus answered him in verse 29, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like namely, this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, Well, master, you have said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, And to love his neighbors himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's an incredible statement for a scribe to make. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, rightly, correctly, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That kind of compliment was not paid to scribes and Pharisees very often. But this man was discreet. And no man after that dared ask him any question. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Holy Spirit, speaking of Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit you on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David, therefore, himself calls him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. What he's saying here, if Christ is the son of David, how is Christ David's Lord? How does your son become your Lord? Interesting, isn't it? David was first in the genealogy, and Christ came many generations later. And yet, Christ became David's Lord. Now, I'm going to apply that principle to this question. How, if Israel brought forth Christ, physical Israel, within the lineage of David, through Joseph and Mary, well, technically not through both of them, but through Mary, if Christ was born in the lineage of physical Israel, how could Christ be born to the church? Isn't that a little out of order? Well, Christ gives us that principle right here in Mark 12. It sounds a little out of order that Christ would be the Lord of David when David was his, fourth, his grandfather. Great, 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 grandfather. Let's see some scriptures along these lines. I'm going to start, first of all, in Jeremiah 4, and we're going to see the, the painful part of this first, and then we'll get to things a little more pleasant. Jeremiah 4, Jeremiah begins with a real lament against God's people Israel. He says in verse 30, and when you are spoiled, what will you do? He's talking here about how he's going to destroy Israel. And we have seen over the last few years that these scriptures apply, first of all, to the church, We've seen many places in the prophecies that talk about in the latter days, uh, that it is a prophecy for the end time. And when you are spoiled, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you deck you with ornaments of gold, though you rent your face with painting, in vain shall you make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you, they will seek your life. For I have heard a voice as of a woman in travail, and the anguish as of her that brings forth her first child, the voice of the daughter of Zion, that bewails herself that spreads her hand, saying, Woe is me now, for my soul is wearied because of murderers. God refers to the daughter of Zion going through pain as a woman in travail is giving birth. We know from Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, again I'm playing (laughs) a broken record over and over and over again, that Zion and Jerusalem are a type of the church today. Galatians 4, says the same thing. Jerusalem which above is above is the mother of us all, and Paul is speaking to the New Covenant church there. So that parallel is made in the New Testament. We're going to see that clearly before we finish today. Right now we see the church in pain, the daughter of Zion, to be delivered. We don't see an end to the pain, do we? It just seems like it goes on and on and on. One pain after another pain after another pain. And we're not delivered of our pain. Go to chapter 6, verse 24. We have heard the fame thereof of those who will make war against the daughter of Zion, the people from the north country, verses 22 through 23. Our hands wax wax feeble, anguish has taken hold of us, and pain as of a woman in travail. Here again, this is a prophecy for the end time. Well, physical Israel was in pain for many years and gave forth the birth of Christ through Mary. No doubt about it. But here we have an end time book talking about someone being in pain to be delivered, don't we? what was done 2,000 years ago is past. This is an end-time prophecy. Now, did it have a fulfillment in Christ? Yes, I think it did. But is there only one fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures? No, some things were fulfilled over and over and over again in various ways. Pain has taken hold of us as a woman in travail. Go not forth into the field nor walk by the way, for the sword of the enemy and fear is on every side. He's talking about the time when this country will be invaded. And he's talking about a time when the church has already been invaded. O daughter of my people, gird me with sackcloth and wallow yourself in ashes. Make you mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. I have set you for a tower and a fortress among my people that you may know and try their way. Does not God set a palm line at the end to know and try his people's way? Christ came and knew and tried the way of physical Israel and found them wanting and called them a lot of names. The same thing is happening today. Chapter 13 of Jeremiah. Uh, let's start in verse 20. Jeremiah 13, verse 20. Lift up your eyes, and behold, them that come from the north. Where is the flock that was given you, your beautiful flock? What will you say when he shall punish you? For you have taught him to be captain and as a chief over you. Shall not sorrows take you as a woman in travail? And if you say in your heart, Why do these things come upon me? Why has it come upon physical Israel? Or is it coming on physical Israel? And why has it already come upon us? For the greatness of your iniquity are your skirts discovered and your heels made bare. God has stripped the church naked. He's about to strip them. Physical Israel, literally, physically naked. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? If so, implied, then may you also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Does that begin to show us a little bit of why we're having so much trouble turning to God with our whole heart? God likens it to a leopard changing his spots or an Ethiopian Ethiopian changing his skin color. Pretty hard to do, isn't it? Pretty hard to do. But it can be done. He says it can. We will not get into more of that. Jeremiah 22. Over and over, this analogy is used. We'll see if it applies to us later on when we get to the New Testament. We'll see if. I mean, if it's undeniably referring to us. Jeremiah 22, let's begin in verse 18. Therefore this says eternal concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for saying, him, saying, Ah, my brother, or Ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or Ah, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an ass, drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry and lift up your voice in Bashan and cry from the passages, passages, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity. Did Herbert Armstrong not speak to us when we were still fairly prosperous and say we're getting off the track, we're off the track, please get back on? But you said, I will not hear, didn't we? This has been your manner from your youth and you have not obeyed my voice. The wind shall eat up all your pastors, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then shall you be ashamed and confounded for all your wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, that make your nest in the cedars. How gracious shall you be when pangs come upon you, the pain as of a woman in travail. Jeremiah 30. Here I want about verse 6. Verse 5, For thus says the Eternal, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Has Has there not been a great deal of fear in the church and not peace? Ask you now and see whether a man does travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. He says, You're all, just like Even a man trying to give birth. We're all in distress, in other words. All in pain, not just the women. He uses that analogy, but he says even the men look like they're about to have a baby. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Physical Israel will be saved out of physical Jacob's trouble spiritual Jacob and Israel will be saved out of its trouble as well. But both are likened to a woman giving birth with child. We'll see it directly applied in a little bit. How about Lamentations 3? I wrote something down wrong there, I think. Wait a minute. I'll skip that one. We don't need it. (coughs) Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 26. We'll see here God has a bit of a sense of humor in all this. Isaiah 26, pick it up in verse 17. He likens us, again, to a woman. He says, like as a woman with child that draws near the time of her delivery, physical Israel again, spiritual Israel the same, is in pain and cries out in her pain. so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child, we have been in pain, we have, as it were, brought forth wind. We strained and strained, and I believe the correct word is, we could only flatulate. That's all we brought forth. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth, nothing has happened down here where there's been any deliver- delivery, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Is that talking about the end time or what? We're sitting here waiting for the inhabitants of the world to fall. Your dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, you that dwell in dust, for your view is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter you into your chambers, and shut your doors about you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. Now did not we see at the beginning that he tells his disciples, his followers, to pray that they be accounted worthy to escape. Did we not see in Ezekiel 5 that physical Israel does not escape, but goes into famine, pestilence, and the sword? So to whom is he writing here? Who is whoever it is, it's the ones who are going into their chambers, shut the door, and be hidden while the indignation passes over and whoever that is he refers to as a woman that is about to bring forth pain the world has not yet fallen but it's about to and she is to be delivered so far nothing has happened I think that's precisely where we are in terms of the prophecies today we're straining we're hoping we're in pain. We're bearing down, are we not? Trying to grow, to overcome, to accomplish that which we have been given to do. And it seems like the pains just come one after another, after another, after another. And like this thing's never going to get long. Isn't that right where we are? Verse 21. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place. Sounds just like Zechariah 2, the end of the chapter. To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Christ is going to reveal it all. So this is talking about Christ's coming. In that day, chapter 27, the Lord with his sword and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. What does Revelation say the sea is? It's the peoples and nations and multitudes. It's talking about the end time. In that day, seeing you under her a vineyard of red wine, I, the Lord, who keep it, I will water it every moment. He's going to start watering us where we've had famine and drought spiritually. And Amos makes it very clear that the famine is not just of bread, but of the word of God. So it's a spiritual famine that is being talked about, this reference begins to show that the church today is prevailing as a woman in pain. Let's go to John 16, flip over to the New Testament a bit, John 16, and here I'll pick it up in verse 16, John 16, 16. A little while, and you shall not see Me. And again a little while, and you shall see Me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you shall not see Me. And again a little while, and you shall see Me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he says? A little while, we cannot tell what he says. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said to them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, here again, speaking to his disciples directly, no one else was there. Truly, truly, I say to you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And you now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. Now, he had already been born in the lineage of David. That was a historical matter at this time, only roughly 33 years later, but afterward. And he refers to their pain and sorrow as the founders of the New Testament church. Guess what? The New Testament church will labor as a woman in travail to give birth. Why did Christ use that particular analogy to his church? Let's turn to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. And here let's look at verse 27. He's speaking of the mystery in verse 26. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is supposed to be in us. We are to be growing in the stature and the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now this is not directly a birth analogy, but I think it is closely akin to it. Now let's follow that up by going to Galatians 4. Galatians 4. Paul is addressing the New Testament church here, the Galatian congregation, verse 19. Galatians 4, 19. My little children, of whom I prevail in birth, again, until Christ be formed in you. Paul says that his feeding and nurturing of the church is like a pregnant woman and Christ is being formed in her. I refer you back to Mark 12. How can the church give birth to Christ when Christ was born a long time ago? It sounds strange. And yet that is the very analogy Christ used of himself and David, and it is the exact same analogy that Paul uses to speak of the church we are to be growing to be like christ he is being formed in our minds he is being formed in our hearts it doesn't start out that way as a full-blown christ in us does it not by any means we start out like a sperm and an egg coming together and that is the exact analogy god uses for baptism that the holy spirit is conceived in our minds by the laying on of hands. And from that moment on, we are to develop the character, the strength, the wisdom, the fruit of the Spirit. Christ is to live his life in us. And it starts very small as eggs. And it grows and it grows and it grows until Christ is fully formed in us and we can give birth. That's the analogy Paul uses. It's the one Christ used with his disciples. Let's go on down a little bit. Verse 20. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. Is Christ really being formed in you, Paul says? Oh, foolish Galatians, he calls them in one place. Tell me, You that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. This would be by Hagar and by Sarah. Hagar was a handmaid of Sarah, as you know the story. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. There was no promise of race and grace, well not of grace certainly, to... Uh, Hagar that was given through Jacob which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants he's talking here when he uses Hagar and Sarah as the old covenant and the new covenant okay the one from the Mount Sinai which gingers to bondage which is Hagar if you're chained to Mount Sinai you're still with the old covenant Did did Paul not say in Hebrews 12, you're not come to Mount Sinai, to a mountain that thunders and lightens. You are come to the church of God, the new Zion, the new Jerusalem, to Jesus Christ. Okay? For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answers to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. So Jerusalem above is our mother, and yet we are likened in another analogy to being a mother giving birth to Christ, because he has to be formed in us. For it is written, Rejoice, you barren that bear not! Break forth and cry, you that travail not! For the desolate has many more children than she which has an husband. I submit to you that the New Testament... The new covenant, the new marriage which hasn't even been consummated yet, has produced far more children than the old covenant, which did not produce children, and a divorce occurred. There are only a few mentions that the old covenant produced. The desolate has many more children than she which had a husband. We don't have a husband yet. We're only betrothed, aren't we? And yet Christ is producing more children through the new covenant, or is in the process of doing so, than he ever did through the old covenant to a married woman. Now this isn't illicit. This is not illegitimate. Don't get me wrong. God speaks of those things that are not as if they already were. He can do that. For his purposes, he can change the birth order. Jeremiah 31, he calls Ephraim his firstborn. He can do those things. We can't. Verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. He says the New Testament church is that we are the children of promise. But as then... He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. And Ishmael has chased Jacob's feet and his heels ever since. He was born of the flesh. That covenant was a fleshly covenant. We have the new covenant. Nevertheless, what says the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The Old Covenant does not produce the kingdom of God. It has to be produced in us. They did a few, but not very many. There are far more children with the desolate than there were with the marriage. So then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free, of the church, of the New Covenant. (coughs) And Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. Let's go to Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, yes we are in pain to give forth, as Christ said there his disciples would be in sorrow but he would turn to them, notice this in Isaiah 49, let's begin in verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation to the end of the earth. So we're going to go back to Revelation 12.1 here in a moment. We're going to look at some more things. Who is to be the light of the word? Go so the New Testament. And it's very clear in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We are to be the light of the world. So is Isaiah talking to us? Are these people out here in physical Israel going to be the light to the world? Thus says the Eternal, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to a servant of rulers. Cain shall see you and arise princes also shall worship. Who's going to be worshipped? Physical Israel or the church? Who will be God? Because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose you. Thus says the Eternal, in an acceptable time have I heard you, in a day of salvation have I helped you. This is a day of salvation. Physical Israel, come later. Millennium, great white throne judgment. And I will preserve you and give you for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Is physical Israel going to establish the earth or are we going to establish the earth for them? Let's get the order correct here. That so you may say to the prisoners, go forth. Who will say to the prisoners, go forth? We will. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. Isaiah 31, they'll see their teacher. Show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pasture shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them, for he that has mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains a way, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from afar, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of... Sinem, or the Far East. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, who is the Zion today? Hebrews 12, we are. The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Does the church overall kind of feel that way today? Why has it all been torn apart? Then he says, can a woman forget her sucking child? How many of you women have ever forgotten your nursing child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget, yet will I not forget you. A woman will forget her sucking child before God forgets us. I find a great deal of encouragement in that, especially when we push and push and can't seem to give forth. Behold, I have graven you upon the palms of my hands. God has written us on the palm of his hands. Isn't that what people do when they don't want to forget something? They'll write it on their hand. I've seen people do it all, all through my life. Your children shall make haste. Your destroyers and they that, have, that made you waste shall go forth away from you. Lift up your eyes round about and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to you. Will they not come and worship us in the world tomorrow? Is physical Israel going to come and worship us or are we going to come and worship physical Israel? No. As I live, the eternal. You shall surely clothe you with them all, as with an ornament, and bind them on you as a bride does. His bride will bind his children to herself. For your waste and your desolate places, the church in shambles, other we're losing a lot of children now, and we're even losing our physical children now, aren't we? Shall say again in your ears, the place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. In other words, we're going to have so many children, and we'll what to do with all of them. There was an old mother who lived in a shoe, had so many children, she didn't know what to do. That'll be us. Then shall you say in your heart, Who has begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive and removing to and fro? From city to city, trying to find bread. Behold, I was left alone. These, where have they been? Where did come from? Thus says the eternal God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. In verse 25, he says, I will save your children. And he's talking to us. Let's go to Micah 4. We've been to this one many, many times in the last few years, but it fits here very nicely. Micah 4. This is the last days prophecy in verse 1. In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. So what he is talking about in this chapter will lead up to the establishing of his government on this earth. Not here yet, but he's looking forward prophetically to that. In the meantime, we have some problems. Verse 6, In that day, says the Eternal, will I assemble her that halts, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And I'll make her that halted a remnant. We read about that in Haggai and other places. And her that was cast far off a strong nation or people, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And then he goes back and shows how it's going to start. And you, O tower of the flock, the word here in the Hebrew is watchman, and you, O watchman of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, Who are the watchmen of the flock today? Doesn't he say if you appoint a watchman out of the flock, if you appoint a watchman in the end time, he's to look out for you. Who are the watchmen today? The ministry. This is probably specific here. A particular watchman or two or three or four or whatever. Unto you shall it come even the first dominion. Now who is first dominion going to come to? Who is the first resurrection? Who gets first dominion? The church. 144,000. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. We just read that we are that in Galatians 4 and referred to it in Hebrews 12. Now why do you cry out aloud? Is there no king in you? Is your counselor perished? The one we look to is dead. Herbert Armstrong. For pains have taken you as a woman in travail. Here again, the church is used as giving birth. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. He tells us to bear down, accept the pain, realize it's something you simply have to go through. A lot of you women have had one baby, and you went through You were probably, most of you, pretty apprehensive about that first one, concerned, and people talking about pain didn't help you any, but you went through it, and you had one. Now, it's a little different the second time, isn't it? You know full well what you're about to go through, and you do it anyway. You have another one, and another one, and another one. You count the cost, you know what's ahead, and you do it anyway. All right? He told us to count the cost, to understand the pain, and to bear down and be in pain. This is what it takes. For now shall you go forth out of the city, and you shall dwell in the fields. And you shall go even to Babylon, there you shall be delivered. There the eternal shall redeem you from the hand of your enemies. We've been trying to follow through on this instruction. We're not all here today. We're not all here yet. I expect that more will come. Because God tells us what to do when we're in travail to give birth. He says, be in pain, leave the city, go dwell in the field, stay in Babylon, but go to the field. There you shall be delivered. Delivered of what? The child. Delivered of the pain. And delivered of our enemies. That's what he tells us to do. And he says, you will not be delivered, he's implying it, until you do that. And sometime after you do that, you will be delivered. Zechariah 2 undeniably an end-time scripture. Let's go to Zechariah 2, verse 7. Now he's talking about the context of the two witnesses, the end-time church, undoubtedly. Deliver yourself, O Zion, that dwell with the daughter of Babylon, still in Babylon, dwelling alongside it, even in it. And he says, Deliver yourself, O Zion. I looked that word up. It's number 4422 in the Hebrew. Malat. And it means release or rescue and specifically to bring forth young. That is incredible we are to be rescued and released, but he uses the exact same analogy as giving birth, to be delivered. Now that ties directly with what we just read in Micah 4, where he says, Be in pain, bear down, give birth. So our release and our rescue, our place of safety, and delivering of the child that we are laboring to bring forth, Christ form in us, is one and the same thing. There are different Hebrew words that do not specifically refer to the birth of young. Partly Richie called it in Strong's. Could have used that, but he used the same analogy we've been talking about When we spun out of Revelation twelve, what? We began at twelve, didn't we? This isn't the feast. I don't have to stop on the half hour, I've got to lay hour, don't I? All right, let's go to Isaiah fifty four. Don't forget what I'm establishing here with all of these. I'm establishing that not only physical Israel gave birth to Christ, but that we are also to give birth to Christ. That's an important thing to grasp here in understanding Revelation 12. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren that did not bear, The Old Covenant bore a few. We are not to be barren. We're to sing. We're to bring forth more than the Old Covenant did. Did Paul not say that? That the New Covenant has given birth to more than the Old ever did. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, because we are bringing forth. You that did not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the Eternal. This is what Paul was quoting. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitation. Spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes, for you shall break forth on the right hand and on the left, and your seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for you shall not be ashamed. Neither be you confounded, for you shall not be put to shame, or you shall be forget the shame of your youth, and shall not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore, for your maker is your husband. Who is going to marry Christ? Who is he talking to here? The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. He's not the God of the whole earth now. He will be when we are the bride of Christ. For the Lord has called you as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when you were refused, says the Eternal. God called Israel a long time ago. And they went through shame, didn't they? But whoever it is he's talking to here in this prophecy, he says, will never be ashamed. So how could it be physical Israel? And yet spiritual Israel came from where? Out of physical Israel for the most part he is grafted in Gentiles but it sprung from Israel and Gentiles were later added so those who came out of physical Israel and formed the New Testament church will never be ashamed again because we will bring forth Christ he will be formed in us He is being formed in us through our prayers and our Bible study and our devotion to him day by day by day. As we learn to treat our neighbors as ourselves, we're learning to be like Christ. For a small moment have I forsaken you, but with great mercies will I gather you. In a little laugh, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Eternal, your Redeemer. He's called our Redeemer in the New Testament, Redeemer of the Church. The whole context here, if you go back to 49 through 52, is of the Church waking up. We have all slumbered and slept. It is of the two witnesses coming in chapter 52, verses 8 through 9 and fleeing from this world. Then it shows what Christ did for us in chapter 53. Then it shows us that we're going to spring forth and bring forth children like you wouldn't believe. That will happen in a millennium. And they'll be born to Christ and us. Meanwhile, some are now being prepared to be born, and Christ is being prepared to be born through us. Isaiah 66. Here I want verse 7. Well, let's start in verse 5. This is definitely in time in Isaiah 66. Hear the word of the Lord, you that tremble at his word. Does physical Israel tremble at his word? Not on your life. Who does? We're the only ones that have any hope of fitting the scripture. Your brethren that hated you. Does that tie with Matthew 24 about betraying one another? that cast you out for my name's sake. Were some cast out because they wouldn't go back to Babylon when they were setting the church back in Babylon on its base there? Let the Lord be glorified that he shall appear to your joy and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple. A voice, who is the temple today? We are, not anywhere else. We've been through that. A voice of the eternal that renders recompense to his enemies. Before she prevailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man child. Now, how does that square with what I've been saying? Because <laughs> it said "be in pain." Who has heard such a thing? Now, that this doesn't sound natural for him to say that. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? How can you be delivered of a child without going through travail? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall the nation be born at once? He adds a little to it. For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. He's saying that it's, it's going to be like you never went through it. Now he tells us to go through it, but he says when it's over, It won't seem like there was anything there at all. Doesn't it say that you forget the pain because of the birth of a man-child? Didn't your pain go away, basically, when you saw that child and held it in your arms, girls, for the first time? You forgot the pain for the joy. Give me my baby. Verse 9, shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Says the Eternal, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice you with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you that mourn for her, that you may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations. He's speaking to the church here. We're supposed to suck and get nourishment from the church. Jerusalem, the mother of us all. Galatians 4.19. That you may look out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. God is going to give who glory? The church. The bride. That's all that's going to be glorified when Christ returns. The church. Not physical Israel. So this analogy of birth applies to the church so very, very directly. It talks on about verse 15, about the Lord will come with fire, that's speaking of his return. And that's when we are glorified. Can't be anything else. All right, let's go back to Revelation 12. Remember we read in Isaiah 49 that we are to be the light. Is it talking about us? Revelation 12, there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, this is likened to physical Israel basically for one reason, because that analogy started being made a long time ago. Let's look at that, because it is important to see this in Genesis 37, verse 9. I don't want to leave this unanswered, because somebody would pounce on it. Genesis 37 and verse 9. Anybody who disagrees so far with what I'm saying probably would go back here as a rebuttal. Genesis 37. This is when Jacob or Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, when he had the coat of many colors, and he had a dream. Verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. He was the twelfth child, therefore the other eleven, and his father and his mother. Well, is this talking about his father and his mother? Verse 10, And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this stupid dream that you have dreamed? shall I and your mother and your brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to you, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father privately observed the same. He thought about it. And indeed, you know the rest of the story. They did come and bow before him to get rain in Egypt. So there is an analogy drawn of Jacob and Rachel, and the eleven sons, being the sun, moon, and so on. But we have already seen, have we not, that everything turns from physical Israel, who was divorced, to the potential bride and betrothed of Christ. A leap is made from the old covenant to the new covenant. We've seen many scriptures on that. Are those people back then going to be glorified in the kingdom of God? For the most part, no. Jacob probably will be. I mean, isn't he listed there in Hebrews 11? But does the analogy go beyond that? Let's examine this a little bit and examine some scriptures. Let's compare Revelation 12... Revelation 15, first of all, and then some others. Here it talks about the seven last plagues, chapter 15. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, that's the church, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. That's the Bible. That's the 144,000. That's us standing on the sea of glass at the throne of God. You can't go there as a physical human being. You have to be in the first resurrection to go there. No one else is there. Physical Israel will never go to the sea of glass on the throne of God as it stands today. They will come up in the millennium when the throne of God will then be here on the earth in the New Jerusalem. They never go to the Sea of Glass. They stay on the earth. Those in the great white throne judgment stay on the earth. This is the time of the seven last plagues and we stand on the Sea of Glass. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. He's speaking to the church, the first fruits, those will be in the first resurrection. For the trumpet will sound at the last trump, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Is physical Israel going to be changed? Will they become incorruptible and glorious? No. It's talking to the church. Daniel 12. This one gives me chills to turn back and read this one. Is Daniel an end-time book? Wasn't it sealed until the time of the end? What does Daniel say? If I can find it. Chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up. The great prince which stands for the children of your people. Aren't we the children of the ancient Israelites? And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even at that same time. Read Luke 21, Matthew 24. And at that time your people shall be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book. Just referring to physical Israel, they're not written in the book, are they? They don't even know who God is. They worship they know not what. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So this is the time of the beginning of the resurrections. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now that doesn't mean everyone's resurrected at once, because it says the first resurrection only has those whose name are written in the book of life, and the rest of the dead... Do not live until a thousand years is finished, Revelation 20. So he's talking about the beginning of the judgments and of the order of the resurrections. But he's talking about those who will be in the first resurrection, specifically. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Is physical Israel turning anyone to righteousness today? Only spiritual Israel is. And it says here, we will shine as the brightness of the firmament. We'll shine as the stars. We will shine as the sun. It's talking about the church. Tie that with Revelation 12.1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. Physical Israel is never going to heaven. We are. A woman clothed with the sun. Was physical Israel ever clothed with the sun? We've just read that we will be. If this is an analogy to physical Israel and to Jacob and his children, it is only through spiritual Israel, for the most part, that those children are going to be produced, the church. Only a few of the formerly married woman. The moon under her feet is not the moon God's footstool. We will be God. The moon will be our footstool as well. He'll share it with us. And upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Let's not go there quite yet. Let's go first of all to Matthew 13, 43. Matthew 13, verse 43. Listen to this. Then shall the righteous... Shine forth as the sun. We've always thought of God shining as the sun. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Was physical Israel righteous? Is physical Israel righteous today? Who will shine as the sun physical Israel or spiritual Israel will it be the church of God or someone else this woman appears in heaven clothed with the Son. I've already gone through Isaiah 49 haven't I yes or did I I think I did. Go back there and see if that's the one. Yes, I did. But notice there he talks to Jacob there in verse 6. And the 12. All right. How does that fit? Let's go to... Well, I'll get there in a moment. But first of all, let's go to Revelation 2. Revelation 2. I want to complete this thought. Chapter 2, verse 8. I want to break into the rewards of the various churches, which actually apply to all of us. 2, verse 8. To the church of the sea chapter my end, yeah. and to the angel of the church in Smyrna right, these things says the first and the last which was dead and is alive uh, verse 10 is what I really want I will give you a crown of life are we going to see something about that in Revelation 12 and upon her head a crown who gets the crown the bride the woman the church speaking to the churches here not to anybody else says he'll give her the paradise of God what is the paradise of God I didn't write that one down did I I put it down as 2a somewhere here, here it says the paradise of God maybe that was Ephesus yeah verse, verse 7 I'm sorry he says I'll give to you to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God what's his paradise near Jerusalem the heavenly Jerusalem it's going be just like the Garden of Eden, only bigger and better. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall no go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So we have the city of God, the New Jerusalem, as our name. Will physical Israel have that? No way. Chapter 3, verse 21. To him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? Is that physical Israel, or is that the church? We'll sit right there with him on his throne. All right, let's go to Revelation 21 now. Revelation 21. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. He said he would show you the the, the bride, the lamb's wife. That's what he's going to show. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Only the 144,000 are going to go up on the sea of glass and come down as the new Jerusalem and with the new Jerusalem. Having what? What? The glory of God. And her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. You ever seen a huge gem that's been cut and has all the facets in it and how it picks up light and how it shines? He says, we're going to be like that. Who's going to shine? I think that's pretty obvious. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the glory of God, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now let's get to that twelve. Okay? He's talking about the bride, he's talking about the holy, holy Jerusalem, he's talking about those who shine as the sun and have the glory of God, okay? That's the context here and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. There you have a completion of the entire analogy, starting in Genesis 37, 9, and culminating in those who have right to the tree of life and the throne of God, and who shine as the glory of God physical Israel, is going to be destroyed. What is left of them will be in the millennium, and those who were destroyed will come up in the great white throne judgment. But those who now are wise and will bring many to righteousness will shine as the stars and as the firmament forever. And the analogy here includes the twelve tribes of Israel. They're listed in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14 as 144,000, 12,000 in each tribe. It's a spiritual delineation. We've been through that. But the twelve original sons who would not accept Joseph will not have their names on them. It will have the names of the twelve apostles. So God removes it from physical Israel and gives it to whom? Spiritual Israel, the church. All right, let's go back to Revelation 12 once more. And there appeared a great... Well, wait a minute. Let's let's get the, the context here a little bit. What is he speaking of here in chapter 11? He's speaking of the two witnesses. He's speaking of the resurrection. Verse 18, And the nations were angry, and your wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. Speaking of what Daniel spoke of. And that you should give reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. Physical Israel is destroying the earth as we sit here today. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. No break. A woman clothed with the sun, the church, the 144,000, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. She is crowned, and all 12 tribes are represented there, except that Joseph was divided and Dan isn't included as a tribe. And his tail drew the third... Oh, wait, and there appeared another wonder in heaven. Satan appears at the same time this woman does. Oh, wait a minute. And she, being with child cried. I'll get it all... Travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. We've seen that that applies to the church, not just to physical Israel. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. By then, we're going to be ready to be delivered. We'll have had Christ formed in us. We we'll have partaken of his character, of his nature, For to he devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up into God and to his throne. He gave birth to us, and yet we give birth to him. We've gone through all those scriptures to show that that analogy does apply to the church, not to just Mary and Joseph and the Immaculate Conception. He is being formed in us, and we give birth to him, to his character, to his righteousness. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days, twelve hundred sixty. It talks about it as a time, times and half a time in verse fourteen, same period of time. Maybe. There is an analogy. Maybe there was a minor fulfillment of this from Christ's birth for 1,260 years until sometime in the middle of the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. But there's not much to trace, not much to see, not much to know. But that was not the end of the story. That's ancient history now. This book is written to the end-time church and to those who will shine as the sun. And there was war in heaven. Michael of his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Satan is now going before the throne of God as an accuser of the brethren. From the time that this is talking about, he will never again be allowed to do that. this analogy is talking about Satan being cast out for the last time right at the end it's not talking about the middle ages and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of God that didn't happen 2,000 years ago when Christ was born to physical nation it's going to happen now right here at the end He's giving you the time element of this prophecy. And he's already, I think, I think it is very clear the physical Israel simply will never shine as the sun unless and until they're changed in the millennium. And will they ever have the glory that we have? That's a question that bears some thought of another time. Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Not just Christ coming, but in power. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. He did not come in power the first time, did he? He came as a lamb. No power there. I mean, not the kind of power we're talking about here at the end. So this is not talking about physical Israel, it's talking about the church at the end. <coughs> I agree, there's no change in subjects. But when you start out with the wrong subject, it sure fouls you up. you don't get the definitions right in the beginning, then you make some ridiculous statements. Like physical Israel will be protected and the church will go into tribulation and all be killed. That goes against every prophecy there is. No, it starts out in chapter 12 as a continuation of chapter 11, and it's talking about the end time church. Verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Is that talking about physical Israel? Who is told to overcome in this very book? The church. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. When he's cast down, the church flees, and he has only a very short time, 1260 days. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, what did he do? He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. We're the ones that he hates. We're the ones that are bringing forth Christ. Hollywood isn't. The U.S. government isn't. India's is not. We're the only ones who are. So who's he going to come after? The church. He's already got physical Israel. They don't even know who God is. They worship, they do not what. They're Protestants and Catholics and Buddhists and Islamics. That's who they are. And that a woman, no change in subject at all, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place... Who has a place been prepared for? Where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, or as an army, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Now who does it tell to be praying that they be accounted worthy to escape? The church. I can't even fathom physical Israel being accounted worthy to escape. Doesn't fit anything. The earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, there will be some of the church left behind. Some will be accounted worthy to escape. Inferring that some will not be accounted worthy to escape. They will be left behind. Do those who are still in the church keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ? All of us do. We sit in chairs, we keep the Sabbath, we keep the holy days. But are we meek and humble or are we arrogant and laodiceans? See, the whole church basically has the testimony of Christ. It basically keeps the commandments. But some are going to be worthy because of attitude and approach and because Christ has been formed in them. And others are not because they're still going to have the spirit of the world, of pride, of arrogance, of spiritual pride, and saying, I have need of nothing, I'm okay. Those are the ones who will be left behind that Satan will go after. Those who are counted worthy to escape in the church will go to a place of safety and he can't touch them anymore. Those who do not repent are going to go into the tribulation and Satan will have his way with them, even though they had the testimony of Christ and basically kept the commandments. And physical Israel will go into famine and pestilence and a physical sword, and over 90% of them will die. And those who are left behind with them, who are not faithful and true, will die with them. Because they will have to give their lives then, because they are not willing to give it now. We are living sacrifices called upon to give our lives now. And if we give our lives now, we can pray in faith that we will be accounted worthy to escape all these things. This chapter, just like the rest of the book, is talking about the church, not physical Israel. It starts out talking about the church. A great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, shining as the stars and the firmament. The moon is her footstool, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars, 144,000 under that crown, and the subject never changes.